chapter 20 and verse 30. St. John chapter 20 and verse 30. <clears throat> Through St. John chapter 21 tonight, by God's grace, we're going to finish this glorious, glorious book. The Gospel according to St. John. Praise the Lord. Maybe, maybe once I get done with the Gospel of John, these butterflies I've had in my stomach for months will go away. If you know what I mean. It's been a great challenge. This is a great book. A great book. Hallelujah. So we stand on holy ground. We look at the Gospel of John. And uh, thank God for it. Thank God for it. All right, St. John chapter 20 and uh, verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Isn't that awesome? So a lot of things that Jesus did are not recorded. Everything that Jesus did was recorded. There would be books big enough to contain it. So we don't have everything that Jesus did recorded. The Bible tells us that. And the scripture tells us, look at this, the how and the why of the writing of the book. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. And y'all believe Jesus is the Messiah? The Son of God, His deity is proven in this book that he is the Messiah and that believing you might have life say through his name how are you going to get his, get life it's through his name in chapter 21 after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the sea of Tiberias and on this wise showed he himself Father we come before you right now we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word we give you all glory honor and praise and we thank you tonight in advance for what you're going to do. Thank you for speaking to us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Well, chapter 30, or chapter 20 and 30 and 31 brings us to the end of the book. And then John picks up his pen under the leadership of the Holy Ghost and wrote another chapter. He, I guess, thought he was through. And he got through with chapter 20. Amen. Look at what it says so you'll see what I mean. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And then he adds another chapter to it at the end of saying that. So this is a prologue. This is a chapter after the book. That the Spirit of the Lord wanted John to include in the book. And so John records this uh, in the writings. And I'm glad he did because there's a lot to learn in the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. Verse 1, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed himself. Say he showed himself. It means he manifested himself or he shined forth himself this is the reason why he came in this chapter is to show himself to shine forth to manifest himself to his disciples this is the third time he's appeared to his disciples verse 14 
This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. In chapter 20, we saw him appear to the group, the disciples, the ten, Thomas being not among them. And in also chapter 20, we saw him appear to the eleven, Thomas being among them. So now we come to the third appearance of Jesus to the group. Say to the group. He appears to them at the Sea of Tiberias, and there's only seven of them here that he appears to. The Bible tells us in verse 2 who they were. There were together Simon Peter. Say Simon Peter. And we have Thomas. He's known as Doubting Thomas. But at least when he was showed the credentials of Jesus Christ, nail prints in the hands of Jesus, and he realized that Jesus was the one that died for him, rose again from the dead. And Jesus said, look at my hands. Heaven accepts this. Will you accept this? Thomas, as soon as he saw that, he said, I accept the credentials, the proof that you are the one who redeemed me and rose from the dead. And thank God, at least Thomas, when he saw the proof, he believed. There's a lot of people, you show them proof, but they still won't believe. Thomas had some doubts, but Jesus showed him his credentials, and that's all it took. And Thomas believed. And so now we see Simon Peter, the one who denied the Lord in the past, and Thomas the doubter, is mentioned here. The Bible says he's called Didymus, means twin. And Nathaniel, say Nathaniel, of Cana in Galilee. We saw him at the very beginning over there in John chapter 1. He could also be known as Bartholomew. The Bible says, and the sons of Zebedee. Who's that? James and John. Well, John's the one who, okay, at least dictated this book here. So he's among them. So say James and John. And then we have two other disciples that are not named. So you've got a total of seven disciples here recorded and listed disappearance of Jesus at Tiberias. Now, Tiberias is the, the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is known by different things. It's known by Tiberias, Galilee, Sea of Galilee. It's known as the Gennesaret. So as you go through the Gospels and you come across these terms, Galilee, Gennesaret, Tiberias, you're talking about the same place, the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus appeared to them at the uh, Sea of Galilee. A lot of miracles took place in the Sea of Galilee. The sea saw a lot of miracles of Jesus and it heard a lot of the teaching of Jesus. If that sea could talk tonight and tell you about all the miracles that it witnessed, and if that sea could talk tonight and tell you everything it heard Jesus teach, wouldn't that be awesome? But would men believe if the sea talked? Probably not. Because they're so focused on the natural. You know. They're so focused on bad things. That even if the sea could talk about the miracles of Jesus and talk about the teachings of Jesus, probably wouldn't believe. But that sea saw a lot of miracles, saw a lot of teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is the, the area of his manifestation to his disciples. Peter, 
the denier, Thomas the doubter, Nathaniel, man of faith, quick to believe, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John, John, uh, the gospel of John, is represented by him. Then these two other disciples there, two other disciples, not even named. Isn't that interesting? What would you do Jesus appeared to the church and he listed so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so by name. And then when it came to you, you were nameless. But you were there. Well, I believe the nameless disciples here represent you. That's why I believe they're nameless. But how would you respond if everybody in the church was named but you? See, there's some people in the church. See, I'm going to start out with practical application right off. <laughs> there's some people in the church that they live for recognition. That if you don't mention their name, mention what they've done, they get all bent out of shape. But I'm glad that whoever these two disciples are that are not named here, the Bible doesn't tell us that they got all bent out of shape because their names weren't written. Because ultimately it is not about your recognition or my recognition that's important. What is the most important thing is how we serve the Lord faithfully. Now, you know, and sometimes you're going to get recognition. I mean, some of them, five of them got recognized. They got their names written in the gospel. Okay? There's nothing wrong with recognition. That's not my point. Sometimes you're going to get recognition. Don't, you know, tuck your head. and Just receive it, okay? So thank the Lord that I was able to do something for the Lord and, and the church wanted to recognize it. Didn't twist the church's arm. Wasn't trying to be recognized, but the church recognized it. So thank you, Lord. And I'm thankful that the church should recognize it. But sometimes if the church doesn't call your name out, doesn't recognize you, don't focus on it. It's not a per it's not personal. Jesus here in this gospel writing did not leave their names out for personal reasons. It's important for us to understand. If you're not recognized, you're not called by name, don't get bent out of shape. Just say, ultimately, what's the most important thing is that I have served the Lord. I have been faithful to the Lord. Okay? And live with that. Because I promise you, you will not lose your reward in Jesus Christ. So don't get bent out of shape. You know, don't go to pieces. Don't get this attitude that says, well, so-and-so got recognized. But they forgot that I was in that class too. Well, okay. Sorry. <laughs> but just be thankful that you had an opportunity to serve the Lord in some capacity. Amen. Now, me and my wife, when we were in church, we weren't pastoring. Uh, first church we were in, pastor moved us from one place to another place to another place in church ministry. I really 
I can't remember anything that we didn't do in a church other than he didn't ask me to sing. <laughs> he failed to recognize my gifting in that area. Uh, but, you know. But, you know, we were. We were moved from place to place, position to position, service to service. And I'm going to be honest with you. I just looked at it as a great opportunity to learn more about the kingdom of God and how to serve the Lord in different capacity. I didn't get all bent out of shape that, you know, somebody else took my place. And what's that all about? It wasn't about that. And it should never be about that. It's about how can I serve the Lord to the best of my ability and I'm going to trust the pastor to put me in a place and give me an opportunity to where I can serve the Lord. So tonight, if you think you've been overlooked, there might be a reason why you've been overlooked. And it might be a real good reason. And if you've been moved from one place to another place to another place, throw up your hands and say, thank God for every opportunity that I had to serve God. And don't get all frustrated and thank God for every opportunity. And when you do serve and you don't get recognized, you don't get your name called out, don't get upset about it. Because it's about what? Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, everything you've ever done for Him, it will not go unnoticed in eternity. So if your name is not pronounced in the church, it will be up there. If it's not announced here, it will be up there. If it's not recognized here, it will be up there. Praise the Lord. So these two disciples that didn't have their name, they didn't get all out of, been out of shape about that. Hallelujah. you got to keep your heart right. you got to keep your spirit right in order to be usable. So God can use you. If you got your heart right, your, your spirit right, your attitude right, God will use you. He'll, the Bible says He'll make room for your gift. You don't have to try to force your way into something. God will make room for that gift and God will open the doors and you won't have to worry about it. Trust the Lord. Amen. So the Bible tells us that we have five of them named, two of them weren't named. What I think is awesome here is how they loved each other. Jesus has already appeared to them two other times as a church, as a group. And these believers we see in this chapter have come together. Say, come together. True believers love to be around other believers. If you don't like being around other believers, then you might ask yourself if you're a true believer. Because true believers like to be around other believers. That's just the way it is in the kingdom of God. Amen? How many like to be around the church tonight? How many are glad you're here tonight in church? Well, that's almost everybody. So that's good. And so if you're a true believer, you are not, that doesn't mean you're always going to like everybody and like each other. I'm not saying that you have to like each other, but you do want to be around each other because that's the body of Christ. Amen. And it's okay if you like each other. That's an added bonus. And if you love each other, that's even better. But just the fact that you're a believer puts you in a position of wanting at least to be around other believers. Thank God for that. 
Y'all aren't, why are y'all so quiet? I'm, I think I'm preaching pretty good. Maybe this is hitting too close to home, right? About recognition, about believers wanting to be around other believers. That's what you see in this passage. You see in disciples wanting to be around other disciples. Believers wanting to be around other believers. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. If you're a true believer, that's what you'll want to do. Now, people in the world like to hang around people in the world. They can't wait to get to, together with their buddies and party and have a good time, right? Amen. Some of you wives, when you got married to your husband, you were wondering when he would stop being single because he kept wanting to run off with his buddies all the time. You had to tell him, you're married to me now, not them. See, they wanted to be around their buddies. They wanted to be around their friends. Praise God. When you're in the world, you want to be around your friends. Well, when you're in the church, the covenant community of Jesus Christ, you're going to be, want to be around church people. You want to, you're going to want to be involved with the church if you're a true believer. Hallelujah. Amen. How many when you're in the world, you to hang, love to hang around with all your friends? Did y'all even, anybody have any friends? <laughs> oh, whoa. Maybe that's why we have so much difficulty within this church because you didn't, you didn't have any friends when you were in the world. Now you came in here, you don't know what to do with people. Don't know how to relate to people, you know. Okay, so anyway, I'll just assume that the majority of you at least had one friend that you like to hang around with, at least one. You know, when you were in the world. You get my point, don't you? When you come into church, this is a church family, the church of the living God. These are people you're going to spend eternity with. Not just time, but eternity with. So you better get used to each other. How in the world can you be hating on each other and go to heaven? <laughs> Praise the Lord. If I hate you, how can I go to heaven? I'm going to spend eternity with you. How in the world can I hate you? I better get my attitude right. I better get my spirit right. Or, or maybe one of us are not going to be in heaven. And I don't want to take a chance that I might not be in heaven because I'm hating on you. Woo, glory to God. My, my old pastor told me one time, he said, I don't think you're going to go to heaven if you hate me. What? I didn't hate anybody, but he was making reference. If you hate somebody in the church, then you're not going to go to heaven. Whoa, that hit me right in the heart, man. I said, I don't want to ever get in a place where I hate the church and hate my brothers and sisters. I'm going to spend eternity with them, and I might not go if I hate them. Probably, probably won't go. Do you believe that tonight? So, we got these seven disciples, and they're together, you know, and they love each other, and they're different, right? Personalities. They're individual, but true believers like to hang around other believers. So, the Bible says... Verse 3, Simon Peter looks at these other six and says unto them, I go a fishing. Say, I go a fishing. When you look at this and you really look at it closely, you'll find out when he says, I go a fishing, he didn't mean it temporarily. He meant it infinitely. When he said, I go a fishing, he meant to go back to his old way of living. That was his intention. And you need to realize that Jesus Christ has already been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. 
you need to realize that Jesus has already appeared to them on two other occasions, this being the third. But for some reason, Peter, maybe because he felt like a failure, even though Jesus had already appeared to him, for some reason, Peter just wanted to go back to his old way of living. So he says, I go a fishing. And I have to bring that out to you so you'll understand that when he says, I go a fishing, it wasn't just something that was going to happen that moment. The tense means he planned on doing it for good. He wasn't planning on fulfilling the ministry that God called him to. He planned on going back to his old life and forgetting the ministry that God called him to and living the way he used to live. Amen. So when he says, I go a fishing, I want you to know what he's thinking. And the only way you can know that is to, is to go and study in depth what's behind the tense of it. Is it just a temporary thing? Or is this something he's got in mind that he's going to do from that day forward? Amen. According to the tense, he's planning on doing this for the rest of his life. He's going back to his old life in his mind. Now, having said that, I'm also, I'm not going to just preach this negative. Because when Jesus shows up on the scene and they've been fishing and everything, Jesus never rebukes them one time for fishing. He never rebuked Peter for fishing. He never rebuked the other six disciples for fishing. No rebuke at all from Jesus Christ in the passage. So what I'm telling you today is this. I can preach it two ways. I can tell you that Peter, when he says, I go fishing, he's going to go back to his old lifestyle, which was not the will of God. But I can also preach it another way because Jesus did not rebuke him. And I can see positive things out of what Peter did. Even though his intentions were one thing, I can see some positive things in his actions. So the Bible says when he looked at the other ones, and he says, I go fishing, you know, the rest of them said, we're going too. And all six of them, I don't know what all I'm going to do, you know. You, you go dig the bait. You know, you get the rod. Now, they don't fill some rod and wheels, but I don't You know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to relate to you. If I got six people going with me, maybe somebody's going to dig the bait. Somebody's going to get the food, you know, somebody, whatever. But all six of them joined Peter in this fishing adventure. The good news is by the end of the chapter, Jesus is going to change the mind of Peter so that Peter is not going to go back to his old lifestyle. Jesus is going to change his mind and he's going to fulfill the ministry that Jesus has called him to. So Jesus will change his mind by the end of the chapter. So, okay, say amen. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. Now, what you need to realize is that the Holy Ghost hasn't been poured out yet, so they can't start their ministry yet. Because Jesus will tell them, Go ye and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they can't start their ministry until they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They have to be empowered with His Spirit before they ever preach one message. So in this passage, they are in an in-between situation. Are y'all here? So even though in Peter's mind he's going back to his old lifestyle, what you need to realize is that this is a transitional period of time 
to where they really don't know what else to do. Because they can't go preach yet. They can't go and do the ministry that God's called them to because they don't have the Holy Ghost yet. So they really, what else to do? They're fishermen. So they, what do they do? They fish. Right? And the fact that Peter looks at the rest of the disciples and says, I go fishing, lets me know something about Peter. Peter's the kind of person that cannot stand to be idle. I'm going to bring some positive things out of this text to you tonight. That Peter was the kind of man, and the other six were kind of men, they were busy kind of men. Let me put it to you this way, they were hard workers. If you're not a hard worker on your secular job, you will not do the work in the church good. Only hardworking people in the secular world serve God in the church well. I'm going to say it again. It's going to get quieter and quieter. But I'm going to say it anyway. You're never going to find anybody that's not a hard worker in the secular world that's a hard worker in the church. People who are hard workers in the secular world are people who will be hard workers in the church for Jesus Christ. Notice the Bible says immediately. It shows us the diligence of these men. They're fishermen. Peter, of course, Peter, James, and John for sure are fishermen. And so they are diligent. Say immediately. I'm not going to wait around, but immediately. So they're diligent and they're hard workers. And the Bible says they're going to do something. They're going to go to work. I'm going to tell you this. We can put you in an office. But an office will not change bad character. Remember this church. You know, you think, well, let's put somebody in an office and maybe if I put them in the office, then they'll live up to that position. I have never seen it. Never as a pastor. I have never seen anybody that you just put them in an office and you said, okay, you are responsible to do this. If they were not already diligent and already hard workers, I have never seen anybody, even if you put them off in an office, do anything with the office because the office doesn't change bad behavior. You take somebody that's in the world, that in that secular world, they are hard workers. They are diligent people. They're going to be hard workers in the church and they're going to be diligent in the church and those are the kind of people that you want to put in office because they're going to live up to the office. But if they're not diligent and they're not hard workers, you can put them in the office and they're never going to live up to an office because the office doesn't change the character of the person. Give God praise. And these disciples are the kind of people. The Bible says, you talk about hard workers, all night long. They fished all night long and caught nothing. The fact that they didn't catch anything didn't stop them from continuing. So not only are they diligent immediately, not only are they hard workers, but they're not quitters. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Winners never quit and quitters never win. So all night long, even though they had taken nothing, 
they refuse to quit. Do you have that kind of characteristic tonight? Anybody here? I'm not condemning you. I'm not indicting you. I'm asking you to think about yourself. Are you, are you diligent? Are you a hard worker? Are you the person that refuses to quit even though when you don't see any results, you're still going to keep on keeping on? You're going to keep fishing. These are the kind of men that Jesus called into the ministry. The kind of men that would work hard. The kind of men, hallelujah to the Lamb, that were diligent. And the kind of men that refused to quit even when they didn't see results. Glory to God. See, when you see results, you got all kinds of fish coming in. It's easy to keep on serving. But when you're laboring and you're laboring and you're laboring and you're laboring and you don't see any response and you don't see anybody coming to the kingdom of God, it's very easy for you to throw up the hands and say, well, I'm just not going to do it. Because I've tried and I can't win anybody to God. These men didn't quit. They toiled all night long. Disappointed, yes. Discouraged, yes. But they did not quit. Go to Isaiah 49 and verse 4. I'll show you a very powerful, powerful prophetic scripture. In Isaiah 49. I'm trying to encourage you tonight. Isaiah 49, 4. How many times you've been in that situation? You've worked, you've labored, you've been diligent, and you look at it and there's no results. The Bible says they caught nothing. That means zero. Not, not even one fish. All night long. Labor, labor, labor. You say, oh, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to quit. I've been working so hard and I had nothing to show for it. But look what the prophet said in Isaiah 49 and verse 4. He said, then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. And in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. What you need to understand is this. Is that God doesn't just judge the results. He doesn't just look at the results. He looks at the labor that you have put in. This prophet said, my labor is with the Lord. He's not just looking at the results because he said, it's all been empty. It's produced nothing. He said, I've labored in vain. He said, but my work is with the Lord. It's not just the results that he's looking at. He is looking at the labor, all the labor that went into trying to produce the result. Even though you didn't see the result, God looked at the labor that you put into it. You need to give God praise. Because when you're serving sometimes and all night long and you don't have any fish to show for it, you sometimes want to get discouraged and you want to quit. But this passage is telling me God doesn't just look at results. He's looking at the labor. Noah only had eight souls. Eight people were in his church. That's all he had won to God. Basically him and his own family. That's it. Only eight. How many of you would have preached as long as Noah had preached for only eight souls? I tell you what, God tonight is not just looking at the results. 
He's looking at all the labor that has been put into it. He has not forgotten that my labor is with my God. The judgment's with the Lord. So that God is going to reward me on judgment day, not only for the results, but for the labor that I have put in. Even though I don't have any results, God doesn't just look at the results. So the kind of men and women that God are looking for, and I say men and women tonight, because all of you are fishers of men, are people who are hard workers, who are diligent, and people who won't quit, and people who know that it's not just the results that God is looking for, but God is looking for somebody that will labor. And when you labor for God, it is not forgotten. Know you that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we can all fall into that trap. Your pastor included. I'm not preaching down to you. We can all fall in that trap. Lord, I'm tired, you know. We've labored so hard. It didn't look like we're getting very far. It seemed like we're going backwards instead of forward, you know. But we have to remind ourselves what Isaiah said in Isaiah 49 and verse 4. It's not just the results. The man said he didn't have any. But he said, my labor is with my God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, let me encourage you tonight. There are people who watch this church that are not even in this church. And when they get around you, they say, that is some of the hardest working people I have ever seen. Be encouraged tonight. People who are not in the church, when they look at you, they say, that is a working church. That, that church works hard. Be encouraged tonight because that's the kind of people that most of you are. You're hard workers. You're diligent. You won't quit. Even when you don't see results, you've got to be like the prophet that says, my labor is with my God. Woo. Not just my labor, but the Bible says, he said, my judgment is with the Lord. God's going to judge me not just based on results, but God's going to judge me based on the labor I put in. Give the Lord praise. That ought to encourage you tonight. So these disciples labored. They were diligent. They didn't quit. But they came up with absolutely nothing. But I'm trying to use the passage tonight to encourage you that it's not just what the results are. God is looking at the labor. And God is going to reward you on Judgment Day for not just the results, but for all the labor and all the effort that you have put in. Some of you in this church, you have a great big reward waiting for you. You Come on, you might not have got rewarded in this life, but when you get up there, you're going to put some of us to shame. Hallelujah. Because of the labor and the love and the effort that you have put in serving God because you're not lazy and you're not quitters. That is the disciples. But I can also see in this passage that, you know, they, I go fishing, they're kind of there out there on there doing their own thing, you know, and Jesus is not in the picture, right? And when Jesus is not in the picture of your life, you'll always come up with nothing. Say, praise the Lord. So I, I got to put that in there too because there's another way to preach this. Hallelujah. But how many of you want to be diligent? You want to be hard workers? You don't want to ever quit. Praise God. You might say, well, I only won one person to the Lord. That one person you won to the Lord might be the greatest missionary that has ever lived. You can't look at just numbers. You can't just look at results. You've got to keep laboring. 
You got to stay with it. You can't quit. That's why Jesus chose these kind of men. They failed. They faltered. Some doubted. Some denied. Come on, somebody. Some lost their temper. Some are not even named. But they had the right material. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Woo! I'm encouraged by that today. How many of y'all love to see more results? Yeah, sure. All of us would love to see a lot more results. But God is not looking at results only. He's looking at labor and faithfulness and diligence and hard work. Amen? God's going to judge, judge you someday. Things you've done nobody even knows about. God's going to reward you. There were no outward results. Just a lot of toil. So the Bible says, now y'all with me so far? I'll read to you verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship. And really it's plural ships. Immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Say nothing. And nothing means absolutely nothing. That's what it means. I mean, nothing is something, but it means They didn't catch one fish. How many of you have gone after and sold winning endeavors? Didn't catch one fish. All that time, all that effort, all that labor, not one fish. You know, you have a revival meeting, not one soul. Put up a tent, five, seven night revival. You know what I mean? Well, thank God we never struck out completely. We always had. You know, a few anyway get baptized in Jesus' name in those meetings. But I'm saying, you know, I'd love to have seen 100 or 200 people. Right? You gotta keep going. You gotta keep, you can't be a quitter. You gotta stay diligent. You gotta keep laboring. Amen. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now, what you need to realize that these men here, especially Peter, James, and John, they are trained professionals. But we see here trained professionals failing. These men knew the fishing business. Peter, James, and John could tell you where the fish were that night. Fishing, as many of you who are fishermen know, fish bite better at night or early morning. So they went out when fish would normally be there so they could gather them into their nets. They would have gone to the place they would have known the fish to be. They are professionals. They know what they're doing. They're not amateurs. Okay? But these professional, professional fishermen who know what they're doing and know where to go caught absolutely nothing. Say nothing. See, you can be a professional and you can know exactly where to go and what to do and how to do it. But if God is not in it, you will strike out every time. Say praise the Lord. I don't care. I don't care how much talent you got. I don't care how much brain power you got. I don't care how much education you got. If the Lord is not in it, you will always come up with nothing. When you're serving the Lord with all your heart, though, sometimes you're still going to come up with nothing. But my labor 
is with my God. My judgment is with the Lord. Give the Lord praise in the house. So these professional fishermen went out all night long fishing. Came up with nothing. Absolutely nothing. Verse 4. But when the morning. Was now come. Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew that he was Jesus. He let them labor all night long. He let them toil all night long. And they came up with absolutely nothing. So their trouble and their lack of accomplishment prepared them for His presence the next morning. See, God is so good. I told you there's a lot of ways to preach this shit not tonight. God is so good. You know, you go through all this trouble. You go through your night season. You come up with nothing. He'll be waiting for you at the shore of the next shore next morning. And all the trouble that you have just gone through. And all of your lack of accomplishment and your emptiness. Has prepared you for his presence the next morning. That's, God is so good. Yeah, you've been out there, you've been doing it on your own. You thought you could do it, you know, in your own strength. You're restless on the inside and you're trying to remove the restlessness by activity. So you get busy, 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 doing, 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 activity, 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 because you're just restless on the inside and it didn't make it better. They were more restless when they went all night long and didn't catch anything. But the good news is Jesus is waiting for him at the shore. Early in the morning, there he was. He's in his resurrected body. Now, I don't know why they don't recognize him. The Bible says they didn't know who it was. He's just standing over the shore. I can tell you this, though, in that culture, a man would stand on the shore and he could see the fish in the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee. And he'd tell the person in the boat, move your boat over here because they're right there. I can see them. He's like a guide on the shore saying, that's where they are. Go over there. And so they'd move their boats and, okay, he's got, yeah, move, uh, yeah, right there. Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a, like a fish finding machine. You ever seen those fish finding machines on boats? That's what they would, they would use men, human eyeballs to be the fish finders. They tell them, that's where they are, right there. There's a big one. Ooh, there he is, right there. Go get him. And, and, and so they didn't know who, who this was standing on the shore, but, they knew that men would normally do that. Would lead you to where the fish were. Hallelujah. Say praise God. Didn't recognize Jesus at, at the beginning. They didn't have discernment of who he was. But there he was. Are you thankful tonight that Jesus stands on the shore? Oh, thank God he stands on the shore. Man, I've been trying. I've been restless. restless. I've been active, you know. Trying my best. Do it. I thought I knew how to do it, you know. Had it all figured out. Come up empty-handed. The Lord says, you didn't pray. You didn't bring me into the equation. That's why you're empty. Because I haven't been in the equation. So here I am. Jesus said, here I am standing on the shore. The most important thing is what you need. And that's Jesus in your activity. 
That's Jesus in your business. That's Jesus in your life. If you don't have him, you're going to strike out every time and come up empty-handed. But thank God there he is ready to say, I want to get involved in your failure. I want to get involved in your business. I want to get involved in your life. Yeah. Whoa. Appreciate you just sitting there. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Well, it don't, you know why it don't mean anything to you? Because you haven't been where they were. You get where they are, completely empty, and then Jesus shows up, you'll start shouting and praising God. You'll say, Lord, I tried it my way. I'm Mr. Professional. I thought I could do it. I know how to do it. I know where to go. I know what to do. I know when to do it. Jesus, all right, we'll see. We'll watch you. That same thing goes for preachers too, man. I'd hate for God to walk off and let me try to do this on my own tonight. Okay, you're a big shot. You think you know how. You think you know what to say. Okay, and go over here and just stand here. Just leave you alone. Boy, you're going to be looking for words to say. I got to have God, amen, in what I do. And if that anointing doesn't come on me and quicken, quicken His Word into my spirit, no matter how much I've studied, empty. I said empty. So, we got to get to a place where we recognize our emptiness without Him. But there He is. Say, there He is. Thank God. And Jesus saith unto them, Be awesome. Children. Children. He's not talking about little little children. He wasn't calling grown fishing men children. He was calling them children, but not in that sense. He was basically saying, Sirs, you know, like it's kind of like a you know, talking to older men. Hey, boys, what are you doing today? You know what I'm saying? Right? Hey, boys. That's basically what he's saying to them. Hey, boys. You know, sirs. Thank God he said that to them. Hello, you bunch of stupid people. No, not really. <laughs> Don't you get it by now. No, I'm saying he didn't say that. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? Hey, boys. Sirs. Praise the Lord. Well, that's encouraging for him to say, Hey, boys. If he's saying that, that means that I belong to him. So the fact he said, he called them children, you know, in the sense that I described, described for you. Let them know this is giving them assurance. You know, even though they said oh, we're going fishing, we got to, and they disappointment all night long. You still belong to me. I told you this. The Holy Ghost, I believe, was speaking to you Sunday night. That just because you failed in certain areas of your life doesn't mean you're lost. He's still gonna come to you and say, "Hey, boys, <laughs> Hallelujah!" <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I might be hearing things, and, but I think he says, "Now, son," <laughs> you know, and that's basically the point right here, son. But at least he says, "Son, 
At least, at least I know I'm connected to him. At least I know I still belong to him. So it's a word of encouragement to them to let them know that even though they have been unsuccessful in their endeavor, in their activity, Jesus said to them, children, oh, hey boys, sirs, have you any meat? Have you any meat? You got any fish? You've been working all night long, and I know because you worked all night that you've worked up an appetite. See, he cares about your body, not just your spirit and your soul. He cares about your body. He wants you to have enough to eat. He wants you and I to have enough to eat. Sometimes we think he just cares about our spiritual, you know, side or our soul. He cares about your, your bank account. Yes, he does. I don't really think he cares what kind of car you drive, but he doesn't care about your bank account because your bank account is what provides food for you to eat. Now, I believe he cares about that. Have you any meat? Well, you know, they could have could have acted like maybe for future glory or, you know, we're doing fine. Yeah, we're, we're all right. Don't worry, Jesus. You see, he knows everything. So you can walk around and you can act like that you don't need anything. And he comes to you and say, children, have you any need? And you can act like the big shot and say, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Yeah. No. Somebody come to you and say, or Jesus, somebody, anybody, have you won any souls lately? Oh, yeah. We, our church is blowing the doors off. Well, really, last time I heard, I think we taught three or four Bible studies for the whole church. That's blowing the doors off, man. I'm not pointing the finger at you. How many have I taught? I'm just telling you tonight. See, they could have said, they could have worked it up, played it up big. Yeah, we're doing all right. Jesus asked them the question. And they gave him an honest answer. Say an honest answer. How many Bible studies did we teach last night? Anybody remember? Three. I have a good memory, don't I? I didn't remember, but I remembered. Three. Woo, praise God. A whole church taught three Bible studies. Woo, we're doing good. Hallelujah. Have you any meat? Have you caught anything? Oh, yeah, man, we're having revival. <laughs> yeah, right. Beautiful. Say amen. Say thank God he remembers our labor. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. They answered him, what? No. Don't have any meat. Didn't catch anything all night. You say, it comes to you. How many souls you won? Ooh. Lord, you see, I won him. Yeah. Just get honest. Haven't won anybody to God. Haven't won anybody, Lord. 
Oh, yeah, Lord, I have that. It's been about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what about last night? What about this week? No. He's got, at least they were, my point is, at least they were just honest. And they tried to, didn't try, didn't try to build it up, work it up, you know. How many got in your church? Oh, right now I think we've got about 500. Minus four. See what I'm trying to say? See, people want to put a face on. They don't want to get real. They want to exaggerate their accomplishments. Not these disciples. When he asked them, they said, none. No exaggeration on their accomplishments, just none. Say, praise the Lord. Am I boring you tonight? I'm, I know my calling in life is before the church. And sister says, Amen. You hear? I got an, a witness in the house. The black preacher's on the. He said, Can I get a witness? And she said, Amen. You're born to church. That's my call. How many have a witness? You heard her witness that I'm born to church. That's all right. I don't mind. Oh, yeah. Now, watch that. She's going to try to get out of that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Me too. I need it too. Okay, here we go. Watch this. And Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They said, Ask them no. But I'm trying to get you to see something here. They didn't exaggerate their condition. They didn't exaggerate their accomplishments. They just said no. Amen. He already knew that because he's God. But he's still giving them the assurance. You are my children. Amen. Praise God. But before he can ever help any of us, you have to get to a place where you're willing to admit, I'm empty. And I need the one standing on the shore. Lord, I'm empty. Do you have anything? Nothing, Lord. I need you. I'm empty. And when you get to a place where you can say, I have nothing, that's when God can come to you and give you everything. But as long as you think you have everything and have need of nothing, He can't do anything for you. So He's got to bring you to a place where you're empty. He's got to bring you to a place where you say, I have nothing. And when you get to that place that you recognize and you realize that you are empty without Him, then He can begin to do miracles. There's going to be a fishing miracle that takes place in this chapter. But they had to admit that they were empty, that they had nothing. And now out of their emptiness, out of their failure, out of their nothingness, they will go to Him and they will witness a miracle. Their trouble is preparing them for His presence. Their emptiness and recognizing that they are empty without Him is preparing them for a miracle. Give the Lord praise in the house. Woo, yes, Lord, yes. Now, that's got to be a real humbling thing. 
to be professional fishermen and to go and fish all night. And then she says, she's helping me because you don't want me to be boring to you. Say it. Have nothing. It's got to be embarrassing. It doesn't, have you ever been embarrassed on the, in the lack of accomplishment and your emptiness and your failure? You ever been to that place where you're so embarrassed you don't even go to tell anybody? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It had to be humiliating. It had to be a humbling thing for them to, to have to say, I have nothing. But when they said that, God could help them. See, God's just waiting for some of you to say, I don't have anything, Lord. I'm empty. It's humbling me to say it. My pride is having to be set aside to be able to say it because I really had a lot of pride and I thought I was really going to do this. Now, Lord, I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to say I have nothing, but I'm a professional. Mm, and I should have something. Are you all here tonight? How many of you are blessed tonight? And you're not empty. You're not empty. Thank God. I'm not empty tonight. But I'm going to tell you something. I know where it comes from. It comes from God. See, if you ever get to a place you think you did it, think you accomplished it, you're going to get to a place where God says, all right, I'll stand on the shore and let you find out that you have nothing. You are empty without Him in your life. Always be thankful that it's the Lord who has provided the blessings in your life. Never forget it. He can do for you in five minutes what you tried to accomplish all night. Well, when God steps in and gives you favor, He can turn a situation of nothingness into somethingness in less than five minutes. If you'll put God first, you'll see what He's telling you in this passage is true. Some people labor, labor, labor without Jesus Christ, without God. They, they don't accomplish much. And all of a sudden, they start depending on the Lord. And the heavens open up. And it's raining. And it's blowing their mind. Don't forget. I said, don't forget. It wasn't because you were so great and so professional. It's because God's favor is there. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Woo! And don't forget what it took some of you years to do, which is nothing. In five minutes, if you'll just give it to Him. He can turn that thing around in five minutes. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is in your life? Aren't you thankful for those times in your life of nothingness? Times where you were empty, but in that time, you had to admit, you had to admit, as smart as you thought you were, you got yourself in that place. The answer is, Lord, I'm empty. Lord, I need your help. I'm trusting you. Turn it around. He's able to do it. Give the Lord praise in the house. Now notice, he hasn't rebuked them about going back to fishing. He hasn't corrected them about going fishing, has he? No. He's fixing to get involved in it. That's why I'm telling you, you just can't preach it negatively that Peter went was going to go back to his old life. That was his intention. But the Lord is going to step into this and participate in this failure. Are y'all with me? His presence is going to be in the, not the failure, but the experience of their failure. Give God praise. 
Woo! Give the Lord praise. This just comes to my mind. And some people in the past, when they found out that this, this sanctuary, these church buildings are all paid for, let me give you God your church. Let's tell them how many people we had in the church. It blew their mind with the amount of people that we have in this church <clears throat> that everything we've got is paid for. All these sanctuaries, all these buildings are paid for. How in the world? The Lord! We give Him all the glory. We give Him all the praise. We give Him all the honor. It's God. Say it's God. I'm thankful. I know, man. I know that I know. We've seen God in the past. God said, believe for this amount by a certain short period of time. And God came and met. Every time He told us the number, He came and exceeded the number. Either hit the number right on, real close right on, or above that one time. Was it two months? We were believing for 50, what, $50,000? 52 days? That much. So they $50,000, I think, wasn't it? $50,000 in 52 days. Something like that. Anyway, around $50,000. Guess what? The Lord brought it to pass. We didn't, we didn't get up and beg for money. When the Lord said it, we, we stepped out and we spoke to the church. We said, this is what God wants to do. And guess what happened? It happened. When God is in it. And we even had some people in the church fighting us when we were doing it. They were, the very day we were going to give the report, one person in the church was fighting us, okay? And I, got new, and I got the news and I just, I took the report from the people that counted the money and I walked to the pulpit and the Lord did it despite their murmuring, despite their fight. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, needless to say, after that, I didn't remove them. They left. God put them to shame. I'm just telling you right now, God can do in five minutes what it takes for you to do five years and maybe not even accomplish it then. That's why you want to be sure, the Lord, that you're in the will of God. That it's not just human activity. That it's not just restless busyness. Is God in this? If God is in this, get ready for abundance. God, God's not in it. Get ready. It's gonna be tough. I don't know why I went off. Verse six. He said, "And them cast the net on the right side of the ship. Say the right side of the ship. You've been the wrong side of the ship now." Time for you to get on the right side of the ship. I want you to notice something very interesting. He did not tell them, Brother Patrick, move the boat over here. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You've been fishing. Let's say you got a rod and reel. They're fishing with nets. But you got a rod and reel, and you're fishing on one side of the boat. You're not catching nothing all night long. Okay. And then somebody shows up and says, okay, turn around and put it over here. Your mind will start thinking. I've already tried to throw it under the boat, back to the boat. 
no success. And, and now you're telling me to turn around and throw it on the other side of the boat? Are y'all here? See, if your human mind starts, you start calculating. Some of y'all, are you got a reasoning mind. That's why some of you have so, so much difficulty in serving the Lord by faith because you, you're always calculating. You're always reasoning everything in your mind. They had to throw that all away. He didn't tell them to move the boat. He told them just to take the nets from one side of the boat and put it on the other side of the boat. They have to set aside their calculation. Now, that surely that's not going to make any difference. Right? No. They did exactly what He told them to do. Are y'all with me? So you've got to get to a place when you're empty. You say, I'm empty. And you have to be humble. Even though you're a professional, you're not succeeding. The Lord wants to get in your business, right? Okay, so now, next step. He's going to give you a command that's not going to make sense to you. It doesn't make sense just to take the net and move it to the other side. It makes sense to move a boat to the other side of the lake. But not just take a net and move it from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. That don't, that don't make sense. But if you're going to be blessed, you have to do what the Lord tells you to do even when it doesn't make sense to your mind. Let me just tell you what that is. If they don't take the nets and throw it on the right side of the boat, are y'all here? What that is is pure unbelief. They will call it doesn't make sense. What it is to God is unbelief. But they didn't have unbelief. And when this man standing on the shore, who they did not recognize, tells them to take their nets and put them on the right side of the boat, they did not rebuke, they did not correct, they did not explain. Hey, we're fishermen, we know what we're doing. Who do you think you are telling us what to do? You don't know anything about this business. He's the one that made the lake. He's the one that made the fish in the lake. He's the one that made them. Right? So without question, they obey His command. After saying they're empty, now it's time to get ready to obey the Lord. If you don't obey the Lord, you will never experience your miracle. You have to get to a place where you say, I'm empty. And then when God tells you to do something, you have to obey what He tells you to do. If you don't obey what He tells you to do, you're going to keep coming up empty. You're going to keep coming up with nothing. You've got to say, I'm empty. And then you've got to obey what He tells you to do. And then you'll start experiencing the miracle. Get Deuteronomy 10, 13. Some people think about the commandments of the Lord. They think in their mind His commandments are grievous. His commandments are not grievous. I think it was John that said that in his epistle. His commandments are not grievous. You start obeying the commandments of God and a lot of people get in their mind, oh, they're afraid of the commandments of God. It's grievous to them. What do you say in Deuteronomy 10, 13, Brother Patrick? Read it real loud, please. Say to keep the commandments of the Lord 
and His statutes, which I command thee this day, for thy good. The commandments of the Lord are not grievous, but the commandments of the Lord are for our good. If you could ever get to a place where you can remove disobedience out of your life and begin to obey, obey, obey. Some of you, a spirit of disobedience dogs your steps. But if you could ever get delivered of that disobedience and understand the commandments of God are for your good, if you'll start obeying the Lord, there's a reciprocation. If you want something from God, you got to give God something He wants. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the truth. See, it's not just about God doing for you. He comes to you and He says, what are you going to do for me? Come on. And if you'll give God what God wants, then God can give you what you want. It's a reciprocation. Give the Lord praise in the house. So His commandments are not grievous. They're good for me, brother. I thank God for the commandments of the Lord. I will obey His commandments without question, even though it doesn't make sense to me and I don't understand it. His commandments are good for me. Say reciprocation. Hallelujah. How many of y'all believe in that? The Holy Ghost has been speaking of that, that a lot to us here recently. It's reaping what you sow. Hallelujah. Yeah, you want something from God? Uh, Lord, I'm empty. Give me a command. Tell me what you want. I want something, but there's something you want me to do I haven't done yet. You tell me what you want from me. I will obey you. Are y'all here now? It's not bribing God. It's reciprocation. It's a law in the kingdom. His commandments say are good for me. If I obey, obey them, they will produce good things in my life. Okay, ready? Oh, glory to God. Cast the net on the right side of the ship. And you shall find. Notice. No questioning. No doubts. No unbelief. Nothing like we're professionals. No pride. Nothing. They do what he tells them to do. And the Bible says. They cast therefore. And now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. Come on. I'm not preaching a comic book to you tonight. This is God's holy book. This is God's word. John, add a chapter to John when you thought you were finished with it. Because God's got some more things to teach you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give the Lord praise in the house. There is abundance in obedience. Abundance in obedience. The nets are full. They just made one quick transition. Didn't even move the boat, just the net. But because they obeyed His Word, they found it to be good. 
and they brought in a draught of fish, the Bible says. Come on, somebody. There was a multitude. They weren't able to even pull it into the boat. They had to drag it to the shore. And you know who it was that drug it to the shore? Peter. It was so heavy. 153 fish in that net. They couldn't lift that thing up in the boat. They just had to drag the thing to the shore. Give God praise. My God is not a stingy God. My God is an abundant God. I don't know what kind of theology you have received. But the Bible tells me my God is an abundant God. He came to give you life and that more abundantly. But it's conditional. You've got to get to a place where you're empty. And you've got to get to a place where you want to obey God, whatever He tells you, even though you don't understand it. And when you do, get ready for the draw of fish. You want to be able to get it in your boat. Hallelujah. Anybody here can say praise the Lord for His goodness to you. You have seen the goodness of God in your life. If you're not seeing it right now, just say, Lord, my trouble's bringing your presence to me. Your, my trouble is preparing me for your presence in the morning. He might want you to throw it on the other side. Come on, somebody. He might want you to take it somewhere else. You have to be sensitive to the instruction and the commandment of God when you're coming up with nothing. You've got to go to Him and say, I'm coming up with nothing. Where do you want me to be? What side do you want me to be on? How do you want me to do it? And then God will tell you. Because He wants you to know. Give the Lord praise in the house. It's obvious. It's not working. Well, Lord, okay. What do I need to do, Lord? Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's, he, who's this? This, who is this? This is John, right? This is the beloved disciple. He'll explain it, who, who it is. But we have to guess at it. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his precious coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Say, Praise the Lord. John is the beloved disciple. He says to Peter, He's a, now, you don't need to realize this. This is the first time anybody has recognized that it was the Lord. And it's John. John is the one who has discernment that that's the Lord. You know why John had discernment that that was the Lord? Because he was the beloved disciple. He loved Jesus. He laid his head on his bosom. He had the heartbeat of God. He loved God with all of his heart. And the love that you have for God will create discernment in you. Because he loved the Lord, he had discernment that it was the Lord. Come on, somebody. What? Now listen. But it's not just that. He saw the hand of the Lord in the blessing. See, a lot of people experience good things and blessings in their life, but they can they never come to the realization, it's the Lord. But when the blessing came, 
here in the net, John said, it's the Lord. He had discernment to know that it was the Lord who brought this blessing. He sees the hand of God in it. Give the Lord praise in the house. See, a lot of people, they, things start happening in their life. They never see God in it, did he? They say, well, you know, well, listen, you know, we got a good job, got a new job, and it's paying better, you know. They don't say the Lord. It was the Lord that got you the better job. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. When good things start happening in your life, you have the ability to say, it's the Lord. I got a testimony. Got a call. Either today or yesterday. I don't remember. You know, my days run together sometimes. But somebody told me, and we had a meeting with his family. And I told him, I said, here's the plan, okay? It comes with obedience. I said, this, this, and this, all right? We're going to do this. But by four months, I want all of these high-interest credit cards or high-interest loans paid off in four months or less. Okay? So here's provision, but here's commandment. All right? And I said, I'm not going to give you the provision if you're not willing to obey the command. So they said, all right, we'll do it, Pastor. Okay? Said, we'll help you with the first one. And they went and paid that first one off. I think they had two or three more left. I got a call yesterday. It's been less than four months, isn't it? Less than four months. I got a call either yesterday or today. They said, Pastor, we paid the last one off. But you need to remember that the provision was conditional. It was conditional based on obedience. We'll do this, but you've got to do this. And they did it with God's help. And right after that meeting, God gave him more hours. He started getting overtime. He started getting more blessings in his life. I want you to know if you'll obey God and you'll do what he tells you, the abundance is coming. The provision will be there. But are you willing to obey the command? And when it comes, you say, yeah, the Lord did it. I know it's the Lord. Another problem with humanity is this, is that when loss comes to a person's life, a lot of times they, they fail to see the hand of the Lord in the loss. The hand of the Lord in loss is to bring you to repentance. If you don't see the hand of God in your loss, you will not repent. And if you do not repent, ultimately, you will lose your soul. You just can't see the hand of God in the blessing. You've got to see the hand of God in loss, and you've got to repent. Job said, the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have to have the ability to see the hand of God in loss. And I don't, I don't know about you. You start losing. I probably, you're probably like me. If I start going through a season of loss, it's time for me to get to an altar real quick. Saying, God, what have I done wrong? Oh, Lord, have I grieved you, Lord? Is your favor on my life? Oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
You have to have the ability to see the hand of God is blessing. And you have to have the ability to see God's hand in your loss. Bringing you to repentance. Come on, somebody. See, I didn't get as loud a response on that part as I did seeing the hand of God in blessing. But you ought to shout just as loud for seeing the hand of God in... Because if you can see God's hand in your loss and it brings you to repentance, then that positions you for a place of blessing. So you really ought to shout louder for the hand of God in your loss because He's wanting to position you for blessing but you've got to get in proper alignment with your nets. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right. I'm having a good time. Thank God for His Word. Okay, here. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, hey, Jesus loved him, saith unto Peter. That beloved disciple is talking to Peter. It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. <laughs> he girded his fishers coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That doesn't mean he was nude. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't bare, you know, out there. Hallelujah. You know, he, he had probably loin cloth on, you know. <laughs> but when he finds out it's the Lord, man, he takes his fisherman coat, covers his body, and jumps into the water, not to get away from the Lord but to get to the Lord. See, he had already been through it one time when the Lord first appeared and said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner man. He said, now I need you, Jesus. And when Jesus, so, But he's not going to appear in the presence of the Lord without modesty. So he covers himself. He clothes himself because he's fixing to go in the presence of God. When you really know you're fixing to go in the presence of God, you'll put your clothes on. And I'll put it to you like this. When you know you're about to go to church and stand in the presence of God Almighty, you're not going to dress sloppy. And I know sometimes when you get off work, you don't have time to go and change clothes. I understand all that. So I don't really need to address that. But I'm telling you, if you've got time to prepare, I'm going to the presence of God. I'm going to make sure I'm dressed appropriately. It's God! Your running clothes are not appropriate to come into church. Your t-shirts are not appropriate to come into the presence of God with. Come on, somebody. Put some effort into it. Clothe yourself. Prepare to go in God's presence. It's God's presence we're coming into. It drives me bananas sometimes. 
see some people come out. They come to the house of God like they came out the street. I know they got better. That's one thing you don't have better. But they got better than that. Coming in wearing a, you know, you like me coming in here and instead of wearing this shirt, just wearing my T-shirt that I got underneath my shirt. Oh, that'd be real cool, wouldn't it? Coming in here, they're thinking I'm, you know, back in the 60s or something when my thing rolled up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Peter said, I'm fixing for the presence of Jesus Christ. He girded himself. He got modest. He covered himself with proper attire because he's going to the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Listen, I thank God because y'all have come so far in this area. I thank God for it. I praise God for what I see. You're doing a lot better than you used to. Hallelujah. I remember when we say, we ask you, please, when you come to church, wear a tie. All the men, man, they, oh. it's painful. Then you started doing it. You started kind of liking it. Then you started looking at yourself in the mirror. Hey, I do look pretty good. <laughs> I'm messing with you. But we ought to think about how we dress it. We've got to come to the presence of Jesus. Peter thought about it. He said, well, sure, he wanted, to, he wanted to be modest. Thank God. Thank God. You, all these people out in the church world say they know Jesus Christ and claim to be Christians and the way they, they don't dress. The lack of modesty, the immodesty. And you claim to be a Christian and you dress immodest? Come on, somebody. If you know you walk with Jesus, it's going to cause you to put your clothes on. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. If I didn't get you on that one, maybe I'll get you on the next one. Next one. He cast himself into the sea. He, he, he doesn't wait for the boats to get to Jesus. It's going to take too long for the ship. Okay, let's row the boat. No, he said, out of the boat. You know, Peter always, I, I like Peter because he's always getting out of the boat. You know? He sees Jesus walking on this very sea. If the sea could talk about when Jesus walked on the water. Some of you ever want to preach, you take that message, well, if the sea could talk about Jesus, all the miracles and everything that he taught. You just preach about the sea, talking about Jesus, the witness of the sea. And this very sea is the sea that Jesus came walking on the water. And Peter sees him walking on the water and said, Jesus bid me to come, come unto thee, into the sea, unto the water. Okay, go ahead. He gets out of the boat and starts, anyway. You know, you know the story. But I like Peter because he's always getting out of the boat for Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Says, is it going to take too long to get that boat to Jesus? And I'm jumping out and I'm swimming. You know, and he's probably swimming too. He's probably not walking. Some people think, I think the Bible says 200 cubits out there. And, uh, you know, so they say, well, that means that he was pretty close to shore, so he could probably wade. In that water, it's deep, real fast. You go a few few feet out, okay? So he was swimming in his clothes. I said he was swimming in his clothes. Swimming in his clothes. Now, if you got a private pool or whatever, no problem, okay? Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Okay, anyway. He's swimming in his clothes. He's got to get to Jesus. Amen. He, why? Because he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, man. You don't have an obstacle of water to overcome tonight. What is hindering you from getting out? Said, I gotta get to Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you're a disciple, you're gonna move. If you love Jesus, you're gonna move. You're gonna get out of that pew and you're gonna move. And you got a preacher that's coming after you until you get out of that boat and move. Well, he's always after me. You better believe it. If you're a believer, you love Jesus. Oh, no, this is hindering me. I don't like. And if you can't worship God and sit by your spouse, go sit on the other side of the church. If you can't worship God and sit by your children, I don't know what to tell you on that one. But whatever you got to do to get to Jesus, I'm telling you, he put his coat on. He's swimming in his clothes. He's swimming. He's got to get to the Lord. The boat's going to take too long to get there. He's a mover. He's a shaker. He doesn't just sit there. I've got to get to Jesus. Wow. And the other disciple came in a little, and the other disciples plural came in a little ship. For they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. Say amen. As soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and a fish laid there on and bread. Here we go. We got these disciples. I believe Peter was there carrying, pulling that net in with them as they're bringing that net up. Say amen. I'm going to tell you why. Because that's the gospel net. That's the church net. And the fish that are in the net represent the believers coming into the church. And it's Peter who has the keys to the kingdom. Say amen. Give God praise in the house. So Peter has got to have his hands on the net with those other disciples bringing the net into the shore because he's got the keys to the kingdom. Say praise the Lord. Now here we go, ready? As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and a fish laid there on and bread. Say it again. A fire of coals. In John chapter 18 and verse 18, we had another fire of coals. You remember where it was? What happened before will happen again. You know where it was? Is where Peter denied his Lord. John 18, 18, where Peter denied his Lord at a coal of fire. A fire of coals, a coal of fire, whatever you want to call it. Okay? And so now on another fire of coals. Is that how it says it? Is that how it says it? Fire of coals. And there's a fish on it and there's bread there. Jesus prepared the fish for it. He's fixing to give them a special. Listen, a miracle of fish has already been taking place. They've got a, a net full, okay? But there's another fish that he's provided. Watch this. He provided this fish 
and he cooked this fish and he cooked the bread. It's a special miracle. Somebody's getting ready for a special miracle of Jesus. The Bible says, they look over there, this fish cooking on the fire and the bread there. And Jesus looks at it and says, come and dine. He tells them, break your fast. You've been fasting all night long. You've been working all night long. You're hungry by now. But I've got the meal prepared. You see it here? You've got the master's men. You've got the miracle. And you've got the master of the miracle. And now you've got a meal that's prepared by the master here. He's the one that's done it for them. This is a manifestation of Jesus. So now the Bible says they saw a fire of coals there and a fish laid there on and, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring, bring to the fish which you have now caught. Are y'all with me now? <laughs> Say, bring to the fish which you have now caught. All right. You're going to tell them come and dine, but watch. He provides a fish and bread. But he then tells them, bring contribution. You understand? He provided the fish and bread. Alright? Probably sufficient for one disciple. But you got seven of them there. So he looks at them and he says, alright, I provided the fish and bread. Now you bring the rest. You bring a contribution. Come on, somebody. See, He holds us responsible. He will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Amen? But He has a miracle waiting for you, but He expects a contribution from us. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I will, I will tell you this. Oh, this is awesome. If you ever find anybody... Okay, in the Apostolic Pentecostal Church who brings their tithes to the Lord. I will say they're saved. In what sense? Okay. I'll give you an example. There was a man's wife, I heard this story, a man's wife was in the church, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. She went to church. He didn't go to church. But he sent his tithe with his wife to the church. And on his deathbed, he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's already baptized in Jesus' name. He just wasn't in the church. On his deathbed, he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know what that tells you? You get a man who's, come on somebody. He might not even be in the church right now. But if he brings his tithe to the Lord, that most likely that man will end up getting saved in the long run because he's got a conviction. He's a contributor. That, that is a true story. I am telling you the absolute truth. That man got the Holy Ghost on his deathbed. And he brought a tie to the Lord without even being in the church. You get somebody who understands the power of contribution. Somebody who has a conviction. 
Even though I'm not going to church, I still know I need to bring my tithe to the Lord. I'm sending that tithe. Praise God. They've got a conviction for contribution. Jesus said, all right, I provided this, but now you bring a contribution. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, now, don't get quiet on me now. I'm not going to take up an offering. I promise you, I'm not taking up an offering tonight. Unless God tells me. If God tells me, I'll take it up. Hallelujah. Okay? Hey, praise the Lord. Now, y'all love to give, so I'm not beating you over the head with this message. Y'all love to give. I'm not even preaching it because I don't want anything from you. You live this way. Hallelujah. I'm just giving you some awesome truths. But if you, if somebody is Pentecostal apostolic and they can sit in a church and never bring their tithe, highly unlikely that they're saved. Even though they claim the Spirit and they claim to be baptized in the name of the Lord, highly unlikely that they're going to be saved. Can you rob God and still be saved? Say praise the Lord. I love to give to Him, don't you? How many I love to give to the Lord? It is a determining factor in a person's life. Right? Jesus said unto them, Bring me the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up, drew the net to the land. Oh, doubters. Oh, ye of little faith and doubters. Now I'm messing with you. Some of y'all, Peter didn't bring the net in. It says the disciples brought the net in. Yeah, I can feel your old nasty spirit. Okay, here it is for you, all right? Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land. There he is. Oh, we got quiet in here. Hallelujah. I told you he had to be involved. I said, I told you he had to be involved. Okay. He went up and drew the net to the land full of great, say, great fishes. They were little minnows. These were humongous fish. Great fishes. 153 of them and one on the fire. Okay? Hundred and fifty-three. Boy, can you believe this if I told you that it is believed that there were exactly 153 species of fish in Galilee? And so that 153 fish in the net means they had one of every species in the lake. Amen. 153 in the net, one on the fire, one of every species. It's the gospel net. It's the church net. It's letting you know whosoever will can be saved. It doesn't matter what race you are. You can be saved. The net's big enough. The church net, the gospel net, is big enough to save everybody in the world and leave nobody out. Every species in Galilee was in that net. Thank God. God made room for you. God made room for you. He made room for me. 
He made room for every race, every nationality, every country, every nation. There's no species that he wants to leave out. A long time ago, before I ever started preaching, I heard a man in Southwest, Southwest Radio Church. His name was David Weber. Years ago, back in the 80s, I'll never forget it. He said, if you, now I'm not saying that's true now, but he said in his day, the 80s, that there were exactly 153 nations in the world. And then one other one, Israel, on the fire, going through the tribulation period. Say praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Oh, that don't that, that means a lot to me, Dad. There's just some things I'll never forget. I never forget them. Well, I count them because it has significance. 153 species representing the Gentiles of the world coming into the gospel kingdom, coming into the church. The gospel net of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. One fish on the fire. The nation of Israel going through the great tribulation period. Come on, somebody. That fish could also represent Jesus Christ, the one who had just recently suffered for the nations. So it could be that the nation, hundred I don't know, maybe a hundred of those fish represent the nations of the world and 50 nations, 53 nations represent Israel. I don't know how to divide it. I'm just telling you it's the gospel net. And God doesn't want to leave anybody out. He wants everybody to say, he's not, he's not willing, willing that any should perish, but all will come to repentance. He died for the world. He drug it to the shore, the Bible says, and the nets did not break. The nets did not break. It's big enough for everybody. The nets didn't break. If you get in, it's not going to break the net. When I got in, it didn't break the net. When Markhouse got in, it almost did. It stretched that baby to the... I mean, you could hear it popping, popping. God said, my gospel swung into the whole Markhouse in that net. It's stretching, popping... Gloss House, Gloss House is not here right now, so I got to, I got to, that's the Mark House. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he's over there partying somewhere. I said, what you doing? I, I texted him, what you doing? He said, I'm in Animal Kingdom. I said, don't let him catch you. The net didn't break. It's big enough for everybody. Whosoever will, let them come. But earlier, you remember another time in the Gospel of Luke, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, that they caught fish, and the Bible says the nets began to break. They were so heavy, the nets began to break. you got two things happening here in the Bible teaching you something. The nets breaking 
in the early days of Jesus' ministry teach you that there will be some who will follow Jesus who will swim away from Him because they are not true believers. They will leave the net. So that's why in one passage you have where the net's breaking and some swimming off because they're just followers but not true believers. But here in this passage you have a picture of the New Testament church and the gospel net of the kingdom and the nets are not breaking and whosoever will, let them come into the kingdom. I don't want to be a fish that swims away after I follow Him because I'm not a true believer. You gotta make up your mind. I'm gonna stay in that net. Say amen. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and threw the net. He's got the keys of the kingdom. He's got the keys of the kingdom. Acts 2.38. The message he preached on the day of Pentecost. Is what gets you in the gospel net, the gospel church. These men, basically nobody's in this chapter. Seven here will become twelve after Acts 1 when they fill the spot of Judas. These little men, insignificant disciples, will be used by Jesus Christ to missionary the world. These little ungreat men will become great in the book of Acts. These little ungreat men, God will use them to turn the world upside down because the world thinks it's right side up. So God has to send the preacher to turn it upside down so they'll get right with God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. These little men that are not great here will empty pagan temples. These little men who are not great right here will become so great they will confound the philosophies of the world. These little men who are not great right now will become so great in Jesus that they will win multitudes to Jesus Christ and multitudes will follow Him. Watch He said, yet was the net not broken. Don't swim away. Don't follow him for a little while and swim away in the broken net of Luke. Stay in the gospel net and be saved. There's room enough for everybody. Aren't you glad? My dear brother Thomas, this is years ago. He's going through a phase in his life, spiritual battle. We all go through them. I've been through them. It's not an indictment on him. It's a testimony. He said out there in the front of that youth building right there. And he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, I just don't know. I just don't think this is for me. I said, yes, it is. It's for you. It's for whosoever will. I said, the devil's telling you that. The devil come. You're not the kind. He'll tell you, you're not the kind of man to be in the church. You're not the kind of woman to be in the church. It's just not in you. It's not. That's not who you are. He's a liar, my friend. Yes. I told that to Brother Thomas. Brother Thomas has been in the church. He never has got out of the church. Now you know you, you, that you belong, don't you, brother? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Now he knows that it's for him. Give God praise tonight in the church. That's what he's telling you tonight. The net's big enough and he wants all of you in the net. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Now, the, 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 uh, be careful because I want to go off and preach something else. I'm not. Okay, here we go. I know now I've got curiosity in your mind. I'm trying to tell you what I'm going to say. But there's some in the end times of Matthew 13 that there's going to be the angels separating the good fish from the bad. And the angels are not just invisible spirits. Angels are ministers, are mes men who carry the message of God. They have the ability to separate the good from the bad fish in the kingdom. So God is not going to accept everybody. You have to come in to the kingdom on His terms, not yours. Okay, He don't want stingrays. He don't want eels. Okay, any eels out there? No stingray. Any stingray sharks? Any sharks out there? You're going to have to have a nature change. If you're a shark, hallelujah. If you're an eel, you're going to have to have a nature change. Some of you were eels and sharks. I know you were, hallelujah. But now you're no longer eels and sharks. You had a nature change, praise God. How many of y'all were married to a shark before they got in the church? Lift your hand. I was thinking the women were going to lift their hands. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I thought the women were going to lift their hands. I was married to a shark. It was the men that lifted their hand. I was married to a shark. That's the funniest thing I've seen. Thank God you got her in the church then now. Praise the Lord. She's a sweet little minnow or dolphin now. Or, you know, I don't... <laughs> that was funny. I kid you not. I wasn't expecting that. that three, at least three men, two or three men, threw up their hand. They were married to a shark. Hallelujah. Or an eel or a stingray. Yeah. Until they got a nature change. Praise God. No, I'm not going there. No, I'm going there. Every once in a while, does the eel come out? Or the stingray? That kill you, man. Stingray, poof, with his tail right through. You're dead, man. You see that stingray come out? You better start praying in the name of Jesus. Say, Lord. But Jesus don't want everybody. He don't. Now he wants everybody to be saved, but it's not everybody because they are not true believers. Amen. God's going to separate him. I got to go on here. I got to move. All right, here we go. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. Break your fast. You're hungry. And another disciples just ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Now they finally got the revelation. It was the Lord. John, first one, get the discernment. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. You take time and look at the miracle that he did here. It parallels the first miracle he did. He did the first miracle on the third day. He did this miracle on the third appearance to his disciples. It was, water they, it was wine that they needed 
The first miracle, something to drink. The last miracle recorded is something they needed to eat. There's parallels and everything that Jesus did. Hallelujah. Now watch. Give God praise. Clap, it, clap your hands. I know. I know. I know. I know. So, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, okay, now we're going to focus. He's going to focus on the individual Peter. Whoa. Right there in the company of the rest of the disciples. It's the timing. Notice when Jesus begins to talk to Peter. Is after they've eaten. Okay? Timing. The Lord knows when to talk to you and when to deal with you. The timing. He's not just going to come sometime and lay it on you. He's going to, there's going to be timing okay, involved. So after they have eaten, now Jesus is going to single out Peter and begin to deal with Peter on an individual basis in the company of the church. Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Are y'all with me? Now I know you're getting tired, and I know it's getting late, and I know you got school tomorrow, but don't walk off and leave me in your mind. Okay, stay with me. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Was it happening? By a coal of fire. Why? To remind Peter of another coal of fire where Peter had denied him. Jesus wants him to remember his denial so he'll never, ever do it again. Okay, you with me? Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Notice he didn't say Peter. He called him Peter. He said Simon. That was his name when he did not know the Lord. Before he knew the Lord, his name was Simon. So Jesus says, you've lost rank. I call you Simon. Because those that deny me act like they don't know me. So watch this. It, it's not like Jesus is holding it over his head in an unforgiving way. He's got to bring Peter to true repentance. Simon. That was your name before you were called Peter by the Lord. That was your name before you knew the Lord. And because you denied me three times, I'll ask you three times. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? I'm going to ask you one time for every time you denied me, do you really love me? He's got to get that out of Peter for the rest of his life. Throw the fire to remind him of his failure. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Why does he take you back to fires that you wish he wouldn't take you back to? It's to remind you of your failure. Why? Why? So you'll never go back to it. And then number two, so you will continue to walk holy 
And so you will be extremely careful with what you do. So he takes you sometimes back to your failure because not because you don't want to forgive you. He's holding it over your head. It's so you won't do it again. So you'll be reminded of your failures. Amen. Your shortcomings. So you'll be holy. Say, praise the Lord. You will live holy. Hallelujah. Before God. So there's the fire. I have to believe that Simon was looking for it to happen. Simon, when you didn't know me, that was your name. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Reminders. In your pride you said, though all these forsake you. Basically, not me. Remember, Peter, when you said you would never forsake me? Though all forsake you, said Peter, I won't. Okay, let's see, Peter, do you still have your pride? That pride that you walked in that said you wouldn't forsake, even though the rest of them would. That pride that thought you were better than the rest of the disciples. That pride that brought you down in failure. Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Let's check your pride. Let's remind you of what you did. Okay? Simon, lovest thou me more than these? The word lovest there is agape. Simon, agape thou me more than these. The highest word for love in the Greek language, agape. Peter's response. He saith unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest, thou knowest your omniscient God. You know. It's a confession that he's God. Thou knowest that I love thee. The word love there is phileo. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? The word agape is the highest. Jesus used the highest form of love you could. And Peter had to duck his head and say, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. Lord, you know I love you with human love. Jesus used the God kind of love. When he said, do you love me with the God kind of love? Peter knew he couldn't say that he loved him with the God kind of love. This humility caused him to duck his head. Lord, thou knowest I phileo you. I'm fond of you. That I love you with a human love. Jesus said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agape thou me, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo 
be. He still can't come up to God's level of love. Lord, you know I love you. I'm fond of you. You're the human love. As high as I can go. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? At this point, Jesus now uses phileo. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileo, phileo thou me? Simon said, He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I phileo thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Two times Jesus asked, Do you love me with the highest kind of love? Peter had to duck his head and said, No. All I can say is I can love you with human love. The third time Jesus comes down to his level and doesn't use a gauntlet, he said, Do you phileo me, Peter? Peter said, You know I phileo you. I'm fond of you. I love you with a human love. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. The Bible says it grieved Peter that the Lord asked him the third time. But it wasn't just the third time he asked him that grieved Peter. It was the fact that now Jesus lowered his level of love to the same level Peter was confessing, and that was fondness. So that Jesus came down to his level of love and accepted it until Pentecost. And at Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost comes inside of you, Peter, you will be able to come up to my level of love, which is a God kind of love. When I feel you, when He filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he raised you to his level of love, agape love. You could never love with that kind of love until you got filled with the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love of God. Jesus had to come down to his, his level in that third statement. He asked Peter three times, lovest thou me? One for each time Peter failed the Lord, denied the Lord. Peter, confess you love me for every time you denied me. And Peter, you're sorry because you can't confess that you love him with more love than human love. And you're sorry that you denied him. We're all here tonight. Now, Peter, you know how I felt. How grieved the Lord was when Peter denied him. Peter, you're grieved now. But I was grieved when you denied me. See, the Lord, He doesn't just, He had already met with Peter individually, but He doesn't just let things go and he's not just hanging it over your head to beat you up with it. He's got to get you to a place where you never want to return to that again. But you will never do that again. But you're, you're going to walk holy with the Lord. And you've got to feel some sorrow. 
sorrow, some grief, some grief over what you've done. And every time that Peter confessed his filial love for Jesus, Peter commissioned him. I mean, Jesus commissioned Peter. Feed my sheep. Your service is based on your love. I could show you Revelation chapter 2 for the church of Ephesus. They were busy, busy, busy working for the Lord, serving the Lord, busy, 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 but they had lost their first love. He said, because you've lost your first love. If you don't repent and do the first works, I'll come and take your candlestick away. You'll never shine again. Because you can be busy, busy, busy serving the Lord, but not love the Lord. Your service has to be based on your love for Him. So Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. First time Jesus said, feed my sheep. Of course, it's symbolism. I'm not a real sheep, nor are you. Uh, we don't eat hay. I do. I got this energy drink, green drink. Ugh, it's not taste like hay. I don't know how many, how many, I don't know, 20, 30 something different kind of greens in there. It's all powder, and I stir it up in water, and I drink it. I have to hold my nose because it smells like hay. But it's good for me. And uh, anyway, you're not, you don't eat hay. At least most of you don't. I do. Symbolism. When he said, Peter, feed my sheep, he said, give them the word. This is the food for the sheep. This is what the sheep eat. If you don't eat the word of God, if you don't have a shepherd over you feeding the sheep, you're going to die of starvation. You've got to have somebody feeding you the Bible. Or you'll starve to death. Peter, feed my sheep. He used that word feed the first time and the third time. Feed them. Like eat the word, the Bible. The second time he said, feed my sheep, translated in the King James Version, it should be translated, guide them. First time he said, feed them. The second time he said, feed them, it should be guide them. Eleven times the word is used. Please hold on. Eleven times the word is used. Seven times it means to feed, like to eat. Four of the eleven times it's translated rule. Back in the book of Revelation, he shall rule with a rod of iron. The second time Jesus said, feed my sheep, it should be translated rule. The word is different in the Greek. Rule my sheep. Guide my sheep. Govern my sheep. The authority is with the pastor. The pastor feeds the sheep and the Lord commands him to rule the sheep, to guide the sheep, to govern the sheep. The noun form of the word here, the second word feed, is shepherd. So the verb is rule my sheep. The noun form is shepherd my sheep. Govern them, guide them, rule them. 
And Peter, when he picks it up, he talks about it, not as lords over God's heritage. But he talks about feeding the sheep. And he talks about ruling over the sheep. He used both terms in his writing to the pastors. So the responsibility of a shepherd is to feed them the Bible and to rule them. Now obviously, if you're a sheep, you've got to want to eat before a shepherd can feed you. If you're not hungry enough to go and hear the word preached, then there's no shepherd that can feed you. There's some shepherds who don't feed the sheep properly. They give them stories. They give them psychology. They write books about how every day can be a Friday. <sighs> Send the tape. You feed the sheep the Bible, okay? And you have to be willing as sheep to eat the word that's fed to you. Some sheep don't want to be fed the Bible. Amen. And then, not only that, but you have to be willing to be guided and governed and ruled. And there's some sheep that don't want to be ruled. They're unruly. Just because I'm looking at you don't mean I'm thinking you're one of them. So why do you always stop on me when you talk about unruly sheep? <laughs> but is the pastor's responsibility to feed the sheep the word of God and to rule and govern and guide their life? That's just the way it is. That's the way God set it up. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it is. Say amen. Praise the Lord. How many sheep in here? If you're a sheep, would you lift a hand? Okay. Then you got a shepherd that's going to feed you and you got a shepherd that's going to guide you. And some of you wives don't like me when I guide your husband. And some of you husbands don't like me when I guide your wife. But you don't have a choice. Because God told me to feed you both. Female and male sheep. He told me to guide and rule both of you. Female and male sheep. And I know where the authority in the house is. We're the husband. Amen. The headship. You don't tell me all that. I'm talking about in the church. Okay. You have to be willing to be fed. You have to be willing to be led. You have to be willing to be guided and governed. And that's, that's where it is. God has placed it with the shepherd. The noun form of the word feed here, coming from the Greek, the noun form is always, tra always translated shepherd. With the exception of one place, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, it's translated pastors. Okay? So now you know who the shepherds are, it's the pastors. Which means you ain't. <laughs> I kind of, I really would kind of like for you to be. Honestly, I'd, I'd go sit down in the pew with you, you know. But if you're going to do it God's way, the sheep don't have authority to raise other sheep. The authority to raise sheep is with the shepherd, okay? And he has to feed them and he has to guide and lead them and rule. Okay, so do you understand that now? Woo! So that's the second word. In the passage. So he said first feed them. Then the next one should be tend to them. Rule them or shepherd them. And then the next one he goes back to feeding. The third time he says feed my sheep. He uses the word feed like eat. Whoa boy that makes some of you nervous. But that's the way God does it. 
And that's if you ever want to be blessed in your life, you just have to submit to the way God does it. Amen. But I want to. He tells him one time. He says, "Feed my lambs." Another time he says, "Feed my sheep." Did you catch that? The lambs are the young, tender, new converts. So the shepherd has to take care of the young, tender, new converts. And then the sheep, there are lambs on the inside. But they're sheep because they're old. They've been in the church a lot longer. They're more mature. Okay? Yeah, I like that. Go ahead, lamb, sister lamb. Go ahead. You know, uh, yeah, you got discernment. Just because, I know what you're laughing about. Just because they've been in the church longer don't, don't mean they have a lot more maturity. But they think they do. And it's those old sheep. The ones that have been in the church a long time that think because the shepherd's younger than they are that they're supposed to shepherd the shepherd. <laughs> but they forget that there are sheep, there are lambs on the inside and they need to be fed. Whether you be a lamb or a sheep, you need to be fed. And you... Now you know. Anybody in the church starts trying to shepherd you, trying to rule you, guide you, without the shepherd giving the okay to it, you tell him to go take a hike. Tell him to take a long walk on a short bridge. You do, I'm not kidding. You tell him, you go take a long walk on a short dock. A long walk on a short dock. You know where you're going to end up? Yeah, all right. Sheep don't shepherd sheep. You got any of you got a sheep calling you and say, hey, can you tell me what to do? Well, you better talk to pastor. You start trying to shepherd them. Now, business decisions. Go ahead. I'm talking about spiritual things. Love you. The shepherd is going to be the one in the church who knows who to use where and what's best for the sheep. That's not your decision, honey bunch, juicy fruit, sugar plum. <laughs> you don't know. But I think Brother So-and-so would be a better shepherd. Yeah. Go ahead. Come on, man. Fine. Somebody says, Fine. I love the Word of God, don't you? Now you know. What are you going to do with it? That's the point. What are you going to do with it? This is God's way. You're going to starve to death. You don't have a shepherd feeding you. You're going to be lost without a shepherd guiding you, governing you, and ruling your life. And I don't want to. I, I don't want to be a lord over you. That's for sure. That's what we're talking about. Okay. I want to be an example for you. An example for you. Say praise the Lord. Verse 15 said, feed my lambs. Verse 16 said, tend my sheep. Verse 17 said, feed my sheep. See the difference? How many lambs I got out there? How many sheep I got out there? I like that old, the prophet talks about sheep, but another sheep. Boom. These old cantankerous sheep just get boom. Anyway. God said, I'm going to take care of those sheep. Those sheep that always button other sheep, he said, I'll take care of them. Yeah, he, 
and skin them and eat them. You, I'm, I preached a message. There's a two-hour message just on on a sheep one time. I talked about all that stuff. Sheep, button, sheep, and everything else. You know. It's in the Bible. That's where you're going to start to have problems in the church. You get out of this order. You're going to have problems in your life. You get out of this order. Notice what he said also. I love this whole thing. and I just, I just can't stop preaching. I can, but I can't. I love it. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. He doesn't say, if you love the sheep, feed my sheep. you got to catch that. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Okay? Praise God. Why is Peter going to feed the sheep? Because he loves the Lord. Why does any pastor feed the sheep? Because he loves the Lord. Not because he loves the sheep. I love you, but that's not why I feed you and, and, and try to govern your life. I, I do it often because I love God. Some of you drive me bananas. Hallelujah. Why do I keep on feeding you? Why do I keep on governing? Because I love the Lord. But I still love some of you. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Why are you looking at me like that, Gene? You have this strange look. Why are you thinking I don't care about you as a sheep? Yeah, I do. I love all of you. I love all of you. But, you know, sometimes I just have to say, I fillet on you. Okay? You got to be careful when you talk to pastor. If you love me, pastor, yeah, I'll love you. But you don't know what word I'm using. See, I might be using phileo. When I tell her I love her, I'm using eros, phileo, gagapi, and everything else. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. <laughs> Woo! So you don't know, when I come to you, you just say, you love me, Pastor. I say, I love you. You don't know what I'm thinking. I, you know, it's going to be filet or it's going to be maybe agape. I might be just fond of you just a little bit. But I'm just trying to point out to you the reason why a pastor does what he does is because he loves the Lord. Not primarily because he loves the sheep. Amen? I know I'm getting... Is it Tim Hill? I do respect your time. I really do. Okay. All right, so now, Peter, you're in a place where you have been commissioned. You have been called into fulfilling the ministry. Even though you deny me. You know, Peter never did it again. He never left the Lord again. He never denied the Lord again. He was faithful to the end. And Jesus gives him an encouraging word to let him know that he will succeed. Because he looks at him and he prophesies. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, say young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. At one time, Peter, you were independent. You did what you wanted to do, went where you wanted to go. You were free to do whatever you wanted. You were independent. He said, there's coming a time 
You're going to lose your independence. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. The wording here, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, is a picture of crucifixion. So that Jesus was prophesying that he would succeed in his walk with God. That his ministry would be opposed and fought. And he would be persecuted and die for his faith. Remember, when you really start serving the Lord, there's no guarantee that you're not going to go through some trouble. There's no guarantee that you're not going to be persecuted. There's no guarantee that you won't die for the Lord. Peter, and stretch your hands out. They're going to gird you and put you on that cross. Historical writings tell us that when Peter was in Rome, the Romans were about to get him and were going to, going to kill him. Peter took off running. I don't know if it's a true story or not. Took off running. And he's, historical writings say the Lord appeared to him and said, Where are you going, Peter? Peter turned around. He went back. He looked at his persecutors and said, I have one thing to ask. He said, if you would crucify me upside down, because I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me head down. And history says that's the way he died. Just like Jesus said, his arms stretched out in crucifixion. He died a martyr's death serving the Lord. The Lord is telling him, you will succeed, Peter, in an ultimate sense. You'll pay the ultimate price. You'll die for the ministry. I don't know where, when, how, what the outcome of all your lives and my life will be. But there's no guarantee that we won't die for Him. Amen? But remember, death is not the worst thing. It's appearing before Him after you die. That's the most important thing. Okay? Isn't this beautiful? Beautiful, man. The Lord's letting him know you're going to succeed. You're going to go to the end. And the end is death. The Lord's prophesying to him. He knows all things. Peter said, I think, three times, you know I love you, Peter, Lord. You know I love you. You know I love you. It's emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ once again. And now the Lord's telling him how he's going to die, how he's going to end it all. This ministry will be successful, but with opposition and persecution. This spake he signified by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, What? Follow me. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Follow me. And follow me even though it means you're going to die, Peter. Don't be discouraged and quit now because you know you're going to die for me, Peter. 
Keep going even though you know you're going to die. Follow me. How do you follow him? You follow him. How? By obeying him. Every day, not just one day. Every day. You follow him by sacrifice. You can't follow the Lord without sacrifice. And you follow him in fellowship. That's where you follow the Lord. Amen. Follow me. Then Peter turning back. Okay, now, all right. Peter's got a problem. He's got a problem now. Okay? He's got a problem. Then Peter turning about, saith the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Let's come back to John. Peter sent him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Peter's got a problem. I hit it Sunday morning. You need to start paying attention to your own walk. You need to mind your own business. Because maybe, I'm not sure, but maybe there's some of you in here that are more preoccupied with everybody else when you should be preoccupied with yourself. Okay, so you, Jesus just told Peter he's going to die for him. Well, he goes, well, what about him? Wow, oh, you like to have a friend like that? Can he die with me? Why don't he die? Let me go free. Talk to him. Don't talk to me. Right? Oh, come on. You know what Jesus says, Peter, with his problem? And some of, some of you, this might, maybe some of you might have this problem. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus, Jesus lets you know right off, right there, he's coming back again. And he says, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Amen. And those disciples got a hold of that and they started walking around. They misinterpreted that and they said, they started spreading rumor that John was going to live until the second coming of Jesus. But Jesus didn't say he was going to live till he came back. He said, if, if, if I will. They left the if off. They started spreading rumors. John's going to live until the second coming of Jesus. Spreading rumors. Right? Okay, say praise the Lord. So Jesus responds to him, Jesus said unto him, If I will that, they take, that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow me. He's like, Jesus is saying, You need to mind your own business. He says, If it's my will that that man live until I, uh, to all the way to my second coming. He said, What's that to you? You need to get your eyes off the other disciples. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to go through a hard time. But what about Brother Patrick? He's always blessed all the time. Lord, what about him? 
Why does he always get all the blessings? <laughs> you know, here I am, I'm serving you faithful, Lord. And you, you know, Lord, you're going to tell me I'm going to die. Well, what about her? Why do they get all the blessings all the time? And I'll do all the work. <laughs> you get it? Mind your own business. Thank God. God wants to give you a glorified body and keep you alive to the second coming. He can do that. None of your business. Praise the Lord. If he wants you to die a martyr's death, you just got to glorify God and follow him in that. But you have to focus on yourself. You got too many people in other people's business. Some of you need to get out of other people's business and you need to stay out of their business. And you need to serve the Lord. You need to follow the Lord with all your heart. Hallelujah. Woo. Boy, this is good, isn't it? This is really good stuff. Praise the Lord. Sister Christina needs this. Carter, my wife, She's, she's great. She's blessed to have a pastor's wife like this. You know, there's some pastor wife they in everybody's business, man. Just, uh, she's not her. Praise, praise the Lord. She's a good pastor's wife. You, you might listen. I'll be honest with you. You might do better with a different pastor, but you could never do better than the pastor's wife you've got right now. I tell you the truth. Okay? Don't you ever forget that. That 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 is not me, Mr. God, I'm sure. There is some of Pastor's wife has to be up that back anybody. Everybody's business, you know. I mean just gossip and one ooh, 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 thank God for Sister Christina. Hallelujah. Sister Alex, Alex, where's Alex? She asleep. Alex, Alexis, yeah, I'm sorry, Alexis. Is she asleep? Hey, don't wake her. Don't wake her. She wrote my wife a letter the other day. And how did you, how did you pronounce her name? How did you write it? Do you remember? Do you have it? There it is. Oh, you got it. Perfect name. Hi, Sister Christina. Is that C-A, C-A, or C-U? It's okay. I love it. It's great. Hi, Sister Christina. I love you. I love this one. Can I read it? Is it okay? Would it, it would embarrass you, would it? Okay, I love it. I want to read this one. Hi, Sister Christina. That's my wife. That's Pastor's wife. I love you. My dad is selling paddles. The paddles are for spanking kids. <laughs> Buy one. They are great. You are, and then she says, you are beautiful and sweet and nice. I love you. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. They're what? They're for free, brother. Says they're for free. Okay. <laughs> She's trying to make you a little extra cash there, brother. 
Isn't that neat? That's neat. I love the way she spelled her name, you know. Really, uh, just honest, be honest with you, be, you'd be a lot happier, and the church would be happy if you just mind your own business. Praise the Lord. And hallelujah. That, praise God. Okay. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the, that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Stand. Lord, we thank you tonight. You're awesome. Mm, my Lord and my God. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your word. I thank you for the gospel according to St. John. Thank you for the truth that we have learned tonight from its pages. Lord, I ask you to quicken to each and every one of us this word of truth. We thank you, Lord, for the ability, the strength, the anointing, God-given intelligence to be able to go through this awesome, awesome story, which is your story. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We ask that your blessing rest upon each and every member of your body. We thank you for your kindness, your love, and your grace towards us. Thank you for helping us through difficult times in our lives. Thank you for being willing to be involved in the experience of even our failures. Thank you for restoring, recovering us from those failures as you did the disciples. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, would you just Contribute something to the Lord by lifting your hands and telling you love him. Just love him. Just telling you love him. He he loves you, and all you can do is love him back. Let there be a reciprocation tonight of his love. Lord, tonight I thank you individually. I love you, Lord. Thank you for cleansing me with your blood and forgiving me of all my sin, giving me another opportunity. An opportunity beyond my failure to be used in ministry. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless your heart. You're dismissed. Thank you for staying and letting me finish the Gospel of John.